The difficulty with parables these days is that we've heard them all before. You know these. You might not be able to quote them word for word, but just the mention of the title of the parable and your mind already goes to these locations in their telling. It's like jokes shared too often, I'm afraid. They lose their punch after a while. Somebody comes up to you and say, have you heard this one? You don't want to tell them. You've already heard it. You don't want to offend them. And so they go ahead and tell it to you again for the umpteen thousandth time and you find yourself laughing at the appropriate moment, but you have to force the laughter. Has this ever happened to you? It is a shame what happens to Scripture that we become too familiar with. It's a tragedy, particularly for the parables, because they are told to share truth, hard truth, which is difficult for us to hear or comprehend or believe any other way. In fact, we live a very guarded existence. We don't want somebody telling us that we're doing things wrong. And so the word has to be couched to us in such a way as to catch us off guard, unsuspecting, so that either in that moment of the telling or perhaps even later it occurs to us. Eugene Peterson says that parables are like time bombs just waiting to go off and tick, tick, tick. We stand expectant of something but not knowing exactly what God might be up to doing. And so here we are in the midst of hearing a parable, actually two parables with which we are very familiar How do we get anything out of these parables? Is there anything left for this preacher to say that would allow us the opportunity to hear them perhaps in a little different way? I'm not sure that that's the case. And so I guess we could just stop the sermon right here and let that be it. But I'm going to push ahead and I'm going to ask that you would help in this matter because it all is so dependent on our listening. We must learn to listen ever so much more carefully to those things that Jesus has spoken before to us. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. For those of us who live in a democracy, for one thing, we don't think too much about kingdoms. In fact, those words simply just flow through us as if they are there on the page but have no representation to us particularly of a different understanding of the world. But this is a culture shift that we must move into. The kingdom of God, the royal order of things, as Jesus saw it, is like this. And he shares with us these parables. It is our cue to put ourselves in Jesus's setting, in the context into which he was preaching. Sort of a back to the future approach to Bible. Going back in order that you can get his clear message for today. And so parable one, we consider first. This parable is only found 
in the book of Mark. If you go looking through Matthew and Luke's writings, you will not find these words written. It is a parable only remembered and included by the gospel writer of Mark. It's a very simple parable, almost to the point where you think to yourself, is it really a parable? Let me read it for you again. Jesus said, this is what God's kingdom is like. It says, though someone scatters seed on the ground, then sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how. The earth produces crops all by itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it's harvest time. Come on, Jesus, you can come up with a better parable than that, right? You're saying, what is, what is this? Is this some special message that I'm supposed to get? I ride down the road and I see farmers that are planting. But you get it here, don't you? The earth produces in such mysterious ways. Modern farming is this technological wonder. You and I would begin to think that we're the ones that are in control of the growth of the plants. I mean, you have the planting of the seed that is specifically designed to produce in ways that earlier generations did not have seeds to plant. And these seeds are placed in the ground by tractors that are driven by GPS devices across large expanses of land. We have watering mechanisms so when the rain is delayed, we can sustain the crop. We have all kinds of means of controlling weeds and bugs. And interestingly enough, our efforts pay off or else the farmers wouldn't be doing it. Those efforts pay off. But still there is the mystery of how the plant grows. The farmer accompanies the plant, but the farmer does not make the plant grow. Any good farmer will tell you that he goes to sleep at night and he gets up in the morning to go check and sure enough, things have changed and he didn't do a thing to it. Jesus is reminding us that one of the beautiful things about God is that the unfolding of life will always reveal that he is at work. Some people worry, worry about the church these days. Catch me on a bad day, you're going to find me worrying about the church. But on my better days, I think to myself, what we see right now is the seeds of God's unfailing blessing upon us. 
that we will be the church that he wishes for us to be. It is a beautiful thing once you begin to understand that God works in this way. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, that was just a God thing? Just a God thing. God is still working. Parable 2. Let me read it for us again. He continued, what's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Consider a mustard seed. When scattered on the ground, it's the smallest of all seeds on the earth. But when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all vegetable plants. Or your Bible might say bush or tree. It produces such large branches that the birds in the sky are able to nest in its shade. With many such parables, he continued to give them the word as much as they were able to hear. The image here that we're drawn to is the idea of something that is so small, which begins to be so large, finally, exponentially large, in comparison to its smallness. You go to the Holy Land today, and ladies, you can purchase necklaces that have little mustard seeds in them. In fact, some of you, I imagine, have one of these at home because Christian bookstores sell them there too. It's a reminder to us of something so very small that can become so very large. And so we've got this parable figured out. We got it, Pastor. Let's go home now. In fact, let's go better than that. Let's go down to the fellowship hall and interrupt the service and say it's time for lunch. And let me tell you, I'm thinking about that. I I heard that there's a chocolate cake with my name on it. But the real point here is not the contrast between the seed and then what that seed looks like when it has grown up to be the tree. That's not all that's going on here. Jesus is playing with us. Remember, this is a time bomb. Jesus is playing with us. He's playing with those that would listen to his parables. Jesus is quoting scripture here. You say, I've never heard that from the Old Testament. Oh, no, he wouldn't tell it exactly like it was in the Old Testament. He's putting his own meanings into it here. But if you've read through Ezekiel, if you look into chapter 17, you find these words that are written there. The Lord God proclaims, I myself will take one of the top branches from the tall cedar And I will pluck a tender shoot from its crown, and I myself will plant it on a very high and lofty mountain. On Israel's mountainous highlands, I will plant it, and it will send out branches and bear fruit. It will grow into a mighty cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it and find shelter in the shade of its boughs. Does that sound familiar to you? Come on, you know, Jesus not only knew the scripture, he really, in so many ways, John says, in the beginning was the word, he's the author of scripture for us. I'd pay attention to the connection here because Jesus is saying, this is not just about the size differential between 
a little tree and a big tree. This is about stuff that is, for us, problematic. I was given a year ago a precious plant because I had oohed and odd over the flowers that were brought into this church building by Tricia Duggan. She has an English dogwood plant, or maybe several, from which she plucks flowers and brings them to adorn our church around Easter. And I was just overwhelmed with not only their beauty, but how long they would last in their beauty. And so in talking with Comer, I said, I said, I would like some of these in my yard. And he said, we can do that. And Tricia heard him say that. And he, she said, she said, you be careful with that stuff. She said, this is an invasive plant and he's got it growing all over our yard. <laughs> every flower bed, every flower bed. And yet I persisted and Comer, Comer brought me some plants and I have a good stand in a very careful location at the back corner of our yard to watch them develop. But they are invasive. You heard the word, didn't you? These plants, even though they are beautiful, they are invasive, which means they're going to go where you don't want them to go. Did you know that the mustard plant is invasive? Did you know that? It is. It's just like English dogwood. It is exactly like English dogwood. In fact, it appears where you didn't even plant it. It appears in the most awful ways because you can't even pull it out by the roots because there's always roots left to make the plant continue to grow. It is invasive. And all of the people knew that. In fact, you know, I, I drive down the road and I admire, I really admire what the farmers are doing out there in the fields, putting in the plants. And I love to see the rows upon rows of peanuts or vegetables or whatever is out there, or corn. It's just fascinating to me. That's not Jesus's parable here. Jesus is looking at the hedges sort of where the plum trees are. Now, I don't know anybody that goes out and plants plum trees on the edges of their fields. But they appear there, don't they? And in fact, what starts out as very small becomes very large as far as bushes or little trees are concerned. Jesus says, and the birds of the air come and nest in their branches. And we can't understand that put down these days because we're not in the context. That's what they used to call everybody that wasn't a Jew, just birds of the air. They would come light in Jerusalem and these tourists of sorts would sort of be in 
spot for a little while, but everybody would talk about it when they left. Birds of the air, all these people. Jesus was saying to us, this is exactly what the kingdom of God is about. Our welcoming those that we might suspicion are not welcome before God. Not that we should do anything here, maybe. But maybe just trust in the work of God to be at work, to observe it. Maybe at best to be arrested by it to the point that we are startled by the parable once again of the way in which the kingdom of God is larger than you and I would define. I heard someone this past week at annual conference stand up in a meeting and in frustration say, how long do we wait? And the teacher at that luncheon looked back at this one who had raised the question and said, that's not a concern of mine, how long we would wait, because I know that the God of my believing is at work. If I become impatient with God's timetable, that's my problem, not God's problem. He said, the world was primed and ready for something to happen extraordinary. In 1100 AD, in the church, but Martin Luther didn't show up until 1500 A.D. Does that mean that God wasn't working in the church? <laughs> Certainly not. God is at work significantly even in our smallest efforts, Kayla McClurg says. She says, your quiet hello to a stranger your gesture of kindness in traffic, your kneeling before a child to see what she is seeing, your voice raised loud against injustice, your tiniest act of mercy, all are building nests for the new community to perch among us, making space for God's realm to grow strong in. And so I report to you that something great is happening among us. But only those who understand the seed planting of our Lord will know and participate.